from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket It is I, Dr. Blood, and welcome to this special Halloween episode of Beach Blanket Fart Bingo. Uh, Dr. Blood, it's Beach Blanket Fart. Speaker, I told you not to interrupt me. I am hosting Beach Blanket Fart Bingo. (laughs) Beach Blanket Fart Bingo. No, it is Beach Blanket Fart Bingo. Fort Bingo. Blanket Fort. Oh, shut up, you fool. All right, Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. There you go. Okay. Well, this is a very special Halloween episode, and our very own Putz interviews. Uh, it, it's Spaz. <coughs> spaz. Spaz, Putz, whatever. Our very own Spaz interviews Ed and Gavin. From Midnight Syndicate. <laughs> Very evil indeed. <laughs> They're actually kind of nice guys. So sit back and enjoy this very frightful episode of Beach Blanket Fart Bingo. Fort. Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. <laughs> For well over two decades, dark music duo Midnight Syndicate have been creating their own brand of haunting music, which combines elements of classic horror films of the 30s up through the 80s. With influences from Bernard Herrmann to John Carpenter and Danny Elfman, Midnight Syndicate initially formed to create thematic instrumental albums that would take listeners to the darkest corners of their own imagination. They refer to these albums as soundtracks for imaginary films. Over the years, Ed and Gavin's music has been used for Halloween haunted attractions all over the globe, scaring hundreds and thousands of boils and ghouls of all ages. They've also branched out into recording soundtracks for horror films, board games, and even Dungeons and Dragons. Nearly two decades into their career, the duo now perform live annually during the hollow weekend celebrations at Cedar Point in Ohio, the roller coaster capital of the world. Not bad for a couple of guys who turned a nightmarish idea into a dream. While their music is perhaps most popular during the Halloween season, Midnight Syndicate's albums are more than just seasonal fright fests. They can be listened to all year round. But why am I telling you all this? Maybe I should let Ed and Gavin speak for themselves. Ladies and gentlemen... I'd like you to meet Midnight Syndicate.
Before we begin, why don't you introduce yourselves so that the listeners will get to know your voices. Uh, this is Ed Douglas from Midnight Syndicate. And this is Gavin Gosco from Midnight Syndicate. Can you give the listeners a bit of history in regards to how the two of you joined forces and basically created this musical project? Well, you know, um, the idea behind Midnight Syndicate was always to create these soundtracks to imaginary films. Uh, music that you could put on, close your eyes. Uh, that was a mixture of mostly instrumental music and sound effects old radio drama type sound effects but anyway these cds that when in music that when you put it on and close your eyes you kind of like imagine yourself in this world of your own creation or a movie um and uh i think that uh gavin and i both really love horror that's where our our interest lies in the mysteries of the night and, and fantasy and so all the music that we've ever written has kind of drifted into those uh, uh, that that realm. Gavin and I met, uh, you know, uh, over 20 years ago. Uh, he was working at the local music store that I went to. He actually helped uh, build my first studio uh, with me. And, um, you know, uh, we had the first Midnight Syndicate album uh, was more of a solo project for me, but I bounced a lot of ideas off of him. And so he's very familiar with that project. And he really liked some of the darker stuff on that first album and the direction that Midnight Syndicate was going into this horror world. And um, when I heard some of the original music that Gavin was writing, uh, I was absolutely blown away. Um, and um, yeah, he saw one of the original Midnight Syndicate live shows and yeah. loved some of the elements there. And, you know, we got yeah. together. You know, I, I uh, remember seeing that show and asking it, you know, afterwards, I said, hey, if you ever, you know, you're looking for a partner to work together and uh, write some of this music and stuff, because I just saw a lot of common ground between us on that with the, you know, the horror themes and everything. I mean, it was kind of a, it was actually a mixed show. It was, it was equally uh, comedic as, as much as it was uh, horror based, but uh, the horror stuff was kind of more what resonated with me and, and stuff. And uh, it wasn't, it was probably like a couple months late, later that I got a call um, from Ed that he said, hey, I got this, this, uh, this thing I'm working on, you, you interested? And I'm like, yeah, and that turned into Born of the Night and it just kind of went on from there. Either of you in more traditional bands before forming Midnight Syndicate? Yeah, um, I, I had been um, well, I had been in you know rock bands, of course. In in, in high school, I played drums uh, beyond keyboards, and, and well, I kind of dabble in a lot of things. Um, so I had my my time in the the high school rock band thing, um, but then I also went to um, the conservatory music here uh, near Cleveland. It's Baldwin Wallace College. So I had learned um, like I was tra trained classically. Uh, through that, I learned really how to play piano uh, and, and also the theory and composition and arrangements and such. A lot of things that I can tap into and use for Midnight Syndicate. So that kind of worked out. I started, you know, I, I did play in rock bands uh, since since high school, um, but I really love horror films. And um, so most of my time in college was spent, uh, you know, being playing in cover bands but uh, also uh, working uh, in TV and video production. 
And so coming out of college, I really wanted to make movies. And I saw scoring those films, uh, you know, using my love for music to make them the scores to these student films. So coming out of college, uh, I worked on a, put together a super micro budget film um, called The Dead Matter back in 96 and scored that uh, film. And so that was kind of <clears throat> the genesis for a little bit of the uh, of the Midnight Syndicate uh, stuff there because it was the instrumental music that you find the score. It's the sound effects, since I did all the sound effects for that that, that movie. And I also worked in, I spent a lot of time in radio, um, uh, you know, just developing sounds. And, and, and then that's why it was a natural progression for Midnight Syndicate, which was movie scores, a little bit of rock music, and the sound design. Horror-related films, at least over the last 20 years or so, they seem to be filled with heavy metal, industrial music. Yet, you take a more classic approach to the music that you create. Did you realize that in keeping with that older tradition that you'd end up creating something that was actually more timeless? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, when we when we started uh, writing um, what we were writing, it was more with the intention of just building these like kind of atmospheric uh, landscapes, like sonic landscapes um, and, and filling kind of a gap that we saw in uh, Halloween music. Um, you know, that's that's a, obviously a huge part of our audiences, people that, you know, that um, use it, use the music for haunts or just use it at home or what have you around Halloween time. So I think, you know, we saw this this gap where there wasn't anything that's just good atmospheric music to put on in the background to kind of set the mood. Um, no matter what you're doing, if it's a party or if it's just like a haunt, you know, a home haunt or what have you, um, you had the the sound effects tapes and CDs and that kind of thing. And of course, the the party mixes, uh, which are fine for what they are. But you know, we were we were trying to do something that was um, a little bit less, uh, I guess, less intrusive. Maybe is is a is a word to, to describe. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but yeah, but it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, something that just kind of helped you create an atmosphere rather than took your attention away to the point where it became the focus of, of you know, the listening experience. And, and, and I think I, I think for me, it's, I think it's like good orchestral music, a good movie score, like just there, you just can't top it. I really so that for me, that format was always just uh, just like, you know, what, you know, why not the industrial? Why not the heavy metal? Though they both inspired us. I know Gavin's. Uh, big fan of like uh, Nine Inch Nails and and though you like you prefer to be called like a pop industrial act, I love Sisters of Mercy, but we also find a lot of common ground. King Diamond and for me, I love Black Sabbath. And so a lot of those 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 formats totally influenced us. But I think for this project, oh, just like Gavin said, we we're trying to set an atmosphere. We we're trying to take you to another world. And I think instrumental music can do that best. And I think that in just most case, the classical orchestra can 
can can can can create that best bed that will not distract but like really allow you to close your eyes and go horror slash halloween albums normally are filled as you said you know cackling witches howling wolves thunder ghoulish moaning and all that but what made you think that an album of mostly moody atmospheric music without those effects would connect to an audience you know i i mean i i think we just wrote what we wanted to hear um that was one thing that i mean i i think i i bought probably every one of those like low budget you know the the, the cackling witches and all that i used to love that stuff and and some of them were better than others i mean some of them weren't weren't too bad some of them were like incredibly incredibly cheesy um but you know having got, run through all of that and like trying to find uh something that was less less about that you know less about the uh the kind of over the top sound effects um i think that just kind of guided us into into what we ended up doing uh musically it was like well this is what i want to hear this is kind of what what i'm missing from the halloween music landscape so let's just do that you know yeah and it, it ties in better with the, the the whole soundtrack to imaginary films films like concept too because i think you know uh just to just to run it that to run it that way and um to, to have it know to yeah have it go that way Was it hard at first to get your music into the hands of an audience? And has the internet been an asset in spreading the Midnight Syndicate gospel? Well, you know, it, the idea, the initial idea, it's interesting because the very first Midnight Syndicate album was mostly dark, but not all dark. So it, it was still this whole soundtracks to imaginary films. But it wasn't absolutely all instrumental. And it was mostly dark, but not completely dark. And so... Yeah, when that album released, it had a really hard time finding an audience for it. So, uh, because people were like, what is this? There's a lot of different things going on. On soundtracks for imaginary films, what's that? I mean, literally, there was no band doing that, and there wasn't. I mean, Vangelis did an album like that. Uh, Danzig did, like, a fantasy album, uh, something in that style. But, like, it was just one-offs from these bands that, you know, but the idea of a band that creates soundtracks to imaginary films back in 95, 96 was just not done. So, yeah, it was really hard to find an audience because it was hard to market and, and explain what you were doing, at least by narrowing into horror, like we did on Born of the Night, which was the natural progression for us anyway. Um, it at least kind of narrowed our audience down. Here's for people that enjoy dark music. You know, you, could, you kind of, it made, but then still, you're talking about people what do you have okay it's a dark music what is it oh it's like a soundtrack to an imaginary horror film people are like uh okay but it was really uh again people's not quite getting it but then you have all these people that are into halloween you have all the haunted houses and everything like that and we knew when we were making this is like gavin's been saying that this is going to be a great audience for us take it to them as soon as that first store owner at the Halloween store heard our music, he like flipped the lid. It was awesome. He said, I'll take 60, you know, and, and I'm going to, and, and, and then he was reordering in, in no time because he was playing it in his store, kind of like our own version of 
radio airplay. So once we hit like Halloween and, and those haunted houses too, they were using those cheesy sound effects tapes. They got our stuff and they're like, oh my God, this is great. They start playing it throughout their house and in their queue line. People start asking, what are they playing? It's again, like it was our version of radio airplay. That is what, that's what allowed us to find our audience. That's what allowed the people that are into Gothic music to, to catch us, you know, a sound, you know, when they were at a haunted house or at Halloween time and find out about us because there's a lot of, you know, bands doing Gothic music then. It was really hard, you know, it's really a competitive market, but, but you know, it got a few people's ears on to what we were doing and that helped us find our audience and, and, and blow, take things out. When you first started making your albums, were you imagining that your music would be used in haunted attractions? Um, yeah, I think we we thought that that was a, a possibility, but you know, of course, you never know how well it's going to do or if it's going to find an audience or what audience it's really going to find until you get it out there. And yeah, I remember the first uh, big trade show that we went to out in Chicago. Um, you know, here we are with one release basically, and trying to play it and get people interested and stuff. And you know until you start getting the, the momentum and the sales and stuff, it's like, man, do we just, do we just do this to do this? I mean, is anybody going to really care? Is anybody going to buy this? You know, is it going to connect it with anybody? And it did. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, about midway into that show before people really started going like, Hey, what is this? This is really good. You know, there's nothing out there like it and stuff. And I think that's when you kind of know, like, yeah, okay, we did it because we loved the idea and we wanted to see it happen, but there is that audience. I mean, it was kind of like the proof was was there then suddenly, you know? It was a big, yeah, it, it's a so-called trans world and it's in Chicago. And it back then, it was the Halloween show for all Halloween retailers. So anybody that sold anything Halloween related went there. But additionally, right alongside them was every haunted house owner from any major haunted house because that's where you would go get your props for the next year. So it's a huge show. It still is, though it's more focused on haunted houses now. Um, but but back then it was the Halloween show, just a huge, huge show. And and so we had, we'd have a store owner come by and listen and like, oh yeah, oh, this is really cool. But then the haunted house seminars were right on our aisle, right in the far back. We were <laughs> far back corner, but all these haunted houses were filing in to go to their seminars. And as they were walking by, they heard it. And just the look on their faces was something that we'll never forget because, yeah, just like Gavin said, it was at that moment when, you know, these people are reacting so strongly to your stuff. And, and people from parks, people from like Universal Studios and the, and the Cedar Point and all the big user parks are saying the same thing that the other, you know, haunted houses are saying. You just like, oh, I think we, we hit upon something in that. It was at that moment that you're like, okay, let's do this. I keep referring to your albums as 
quote-unquote Halloween albums, yet they really aren't Halloween albums at all, because unlike Christmas albums, you can listen to Midnight Syndicate any time of the year. So has the Halloween connection been a difficult hurdle to overcome in regards to selling your music throughout the rest of the year? I, you know, I've never gotten that that feeling that it was like holding us back in any way. I mean, we we just had somebody uh, at the we're playing out at Cedar Point uh, for their Halloween weekends, and we just had somebody come up after one of the shows and tell us about how she falls asleep to our music every night. And it's like there's there's so many different uses for it, and we hear you know people that are they're writing to it, using it for inspiration. Some people just like to have it on the background. I, it was kind of like that from the beginning. I mean, we had a lot of gamers start to use it. Um, even though we weren't billing it as a gaming soundtrack, a lot of people just kind of like took to that use for it because it, it lent itself well to it. Um, so I, I don't think that w- that's been kind of one of the nice things is we, we weren't really slotted into one genre or one specific application to the exclusion of everything else. It's not like it's, like you said, just Halloween music where, you know, suddenly November hits and you're like, eh, I'm not going to listen to it anymore. It's really just for Halloween. I mean, you may listen to it in the middle of December. You may listen to it in the middle of June. It, you know, it's whatever whatever strikes your fancy and stuff and i think it, it works well no matter what that's our goal you know our goal is to write you know it still comes the goal has never changed to create these soundtracks to imaginary films so just that it just seems that for a good part portion of the year uh, everybody has a dark side they like to explore and it happens to be halloween so suddenly your exposure just jumps up 10 20 30 fold but um the music is written uh for people to enjoy year-round uh even if it's just people that you know that you know uh it doesn't matter if they just like it for you know a month or or the whole year and stuff like that it's written for for all year round we haven't really it's only been a good thing for us the halloween thing i mean every once in a while halloween music had a bad reputation has a bad reputation even now you say halloween music and people are like well what's that you know they still think those cheap sound effects so if anything we've had to overcome that negative stereotype that was out there um but that is literally the only thing and once they hear our stuff uh usually pretty quickly they realize this isn't what they uh maybe what they thought it was and we're we're good to go As you say, you know, your albums are uh, soundtracks for imaginary films and they're thematic. Do you plan those themes in advance or do the themes sort of take shape organically as the recordings progress? Yeah, we actually, uh, that's one of the first things we usually uh, set down and talk about um, when we're going into the writing processes. What theme are we going to try and explore? What's the setting or what's the basic story here? Uh, Because that kind of guides everything. Um, I think without that, you know, we might have a tendency to just uh, include things that don't really fit in with the whole, like, it's a nice unifying factor, I guess, maybe is a better way of saying it. It it kind of pulls everything together and it shows you what you're missing. Like if you're doing, say, a vampire theme and you don't have maybe a more romantic track and you want that in there, well, okay, we don't have that yet. So that needs to be one of the things that we kind of have to work on. Um, but yeah, that's definitely one of the things we, we um, go through and kind of 
work out ahead of time, but we, we never want to get too specific with it. That's one of the, the big goals is to let like the listener kind of fill in a lot of the details and to, to allow the music to kind of take you wherever you, wherever you want it to take you. Um, so it's not so much of like a, a hard and fast story. Um, we've done, I guess, more of a like a loose story in, in the past with certain albums, like Gates of Delirium is a good example. Um, it's kind of like a journey through um, this, this asylum and you can hear you know, different areas and different elements and stuff kind of in sequence, but that doesn't that doesn't spell out too many specifics, uh, at least I'm hoping it didn't, um, so that it would ruin the experience for somebody that wants to kind of fill in their own details. And everybody's going to hear it differently, too. So everybody's going to have a different story. Right on, exactly. Having the theme, nailing it that down, especially towards our late, latter albums, was really good because what what happened is then we, we nailed down a theme and then like what I do is I then research that theme for 13th hour. It was researching haunted houses. And then for carnival arcane, it was for re it was researching turn of the century carnivals, just really getting into the theme as much as I can and for vampires. It was watching every vampire movie I could possibly watch. Um, and I find then I get inspiration from that for doing the, for the carnival album, um, finding out all about turn of the century carnivals and all the, you know, different characters and um, uh, things that w were around at that time period totally inspired the music that I wrote for that album. It was all inspired by the research that I did in books. And that's only because we knew what our theme was going forward at the beginning. So for me, it's the, it's, it's critical that we have that theme at the beginning because it directs everything that I, I just, I pull all my ideas from the, from the characters that I, pick up from reading history books and looking at pictures and stuff. Well, what steps do you take to ensure that focus and make sure that you're in the right frame of mind throughout the recording of the project. We bounce things between each other. Uh, like we'll write, we'll write set, we'll talk about our themes. We'll come together and see you know, where each one of us is going and what, you know, characters or what, I don't know, scenes we want to set for, for a particular theme. And then after that, it's literally about going and writing and then bouncing things off of each other. And that's what keeps us locked together because I'll bring something in and, and yeah, I was like, well, yeah, that's great. Or maybe that's, you know, this is more not giving me quite the same feel that we're going for it. And often that's where the collaborative process really kicks in and then um, the compromising and just kind of finding that, you know, unified sound that's just back and forth. It could be changing a few notes in the song or changing an instrument, something that simple, but that's where the back and forth is key. Are there midnight syndicate brawls in the studio when you can't agree? <laughs> Surprisingly, there there really aren't. Um, you know, yeah. we've been consistently, and I know this may be hard, you know, for some people to believe. We've been consistently on the same page, uh, you know, with the music, um, really, pretty much since the beginning. Um, and I think it just comes from knowing what we want to get out of a particular theme, or you know, a, a release, or what have you. Um, it's never been a case of like we're on different pages like oh I want to go this direction with this you know this particular theme and oh I want to go over here with it or whatever it's usually we're aiming in the same direction it's just a matter of getting there so 
you know, maybe like I'll bring an idea to the table and, you know, it doesn't have quite the same feel as some of the, the other ideas we're working with, or, you know, it just doesn't seem to have a place or whatever. It's one of those things too, that I think both of us kind of know intuitively when, when like an idea doesn't work, you kind of know it. I mean, it's not, it's not like a case of, well, I just, I need to use this idea and that's the way it's going to be. I mean, it's never like that. It's always like, yeah, you know what? I can hear what you're saying. It's, yeah, I didn't hear that at first, but it does sound a little kind of fantasy instead of horror-based or what have you. recorded soundtracks for movies, board games, and Dungeons and Dragons, as well as your own thematic albums. Do you create each of them with a different type of energy since they are very different uh, platforms? You know, Ed, you could probably talk about the, the film side of things because you, you, Ed's been more involved in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I think the needs of the project kind of dictate where you go with it or how you approach it. Um, you know, when we're doing our own album, it's like kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, you can kind of do whatever you want, but when you're writing based on a game scenario, say like Dungeons and Dragons, there's certain, um, there's certain scenes, certain characters, certain scenarios that you just kind of have to or want to represent based on the game. I mean, there are things that players always encounter, DMs always encounter, and you want to make sure that that's represented. And, and I think for films, it's even more restrictive for the board games. Gavin explained it perfectly. Sky's Limit for our own projects, for our own CDs. Um, for the board game soundtrack and Dungeons and Dragons, a few more restrictions. And you're working with, you know, another company, just, uh, you know, which has always been a positive experience in both cases. It was wonderful. You're doing a film even more restrictive because, in my opinion, yes, the, the music um, uh, is, is absolutely essential to a film, but it has to serve the film. You, you really... You want to make sure that the movie is that the music isn't taking away from the film what's happening on the screen or distracting because you're writing this wonderful piece that you need to have out there. Um, no, no, you're writing to the film to accent what's going on. You're just, you're just a piece in the whole machinery um, when you're scoring a film, an important piece, but you're just one piece in the whole thing. And so, in that case, yeah, you're really you're really working under a bunch of different uh, I want to say restrictions. But you're because you're working for a different goal. Your goal is to serve the film and not just be the most amazing album to listen to on its own. I mean, if you can do both of them, that's awesome. But honestly, you know, some of the best scores that I've heard are only so, so cool to listen to on their own um, uh, because, you know, their goal was not for that, but just to amplify what's going on in the, in the film. Have you ever considered making a soundtrack to an existing silent horror film and encouraging fans to throw the DVD on and, and play the music instead, sort of like what people do with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz? Ah, interesting yeah. idea. <laughs> it, it is something. You know, I think some of those those black and white horror films like, like Nosferatu or The Golem, or, there's just a, couple, a bunch of them out there that I could easily see us perhaps doing something like that too at some point down the road i think it would be nice and that is especially without for a silent film um 
there is no dialogue so music becomes even more more important um and it gives you a little bit more freedom too um and uh and so um yeah i just see it i see it as it's definitely something we've thrown around from time to time just finding the time to do something like that Now, you've taken Midnight Syndicate to the stage, playing live shows each year. Do you consider these shows concerts or theatrical performances, or are they perhaps a little bit of both? Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely um, a lot of things kind of all combined. There's definitely an emphasis on the music, of course, uh, but there's so much more to these things. And I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, um, but, you know, we definitely employ, um, you know, live acting, of course. The film is a big part of it. Um, you know, we have a, a singer with us um, we've had since we started doing this. So, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's yeah, the whole idea is to make it a very immersive experience. So when you come in there, there's more to watch and to hear than you can possibly watch and hear in one one sitting. A lot of people come back to the show because they haven't been able to catch everything that happens, you know, during the during the performance. And it's not just the music. It's it's everything. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say it's very, very multifaceted. It is a combination, but. It probably leans a little more towards a theatrical production because, I mean, I think when I think of a concert, I do think of simply just, you know, a band playing the music, you know, even though there might be other elements going at play. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's some sort of where some sort of a cross, but it's not it's not totally a traditional concert because and I think that's just a limitation of just the fact that it's orchestral music. It's, it's two people up there and that and uh, and if you're going to put it together, a compelling show, you better have a lot lot more going on and, and we do well you recorded a fantastic christmas album without sacrificing any of your haunting originality did that take some fans by surprise yeah you know it, it was something that a lot of people were asking us to do for a very long time uh and when we did it, it just it felt like the right time you know we had the time to kind of you know kind of really get into that mode and, and kind of work on the songs and really focus on it and everything um, but yeah, I think, you know, when people hear it, you go into it thinking, okay, wait a minute, you guys do like, you know, horror music and stuff. And this is Christmas. How's that? And then you see the song list and it's like these traditional Christmas songs, but it's, it's very much a balance. Uh, and I think that's something that we were very careful about not to make it too over the top dark so that it's like, it, you know, it, it's not, you want to, you want to stay true to the original songs, the carols and everything like that, but just put your own spin on it. And I think we did that in a way that that is kind of um i don't know i guess it is unique oh uh, yeah no i think it was one of the one of the best 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 most favorite things for me to work on in 20 years uh was that 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 christmas album um and and the songs and 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 making them midnight syndicate styled came very natural uh to me i it was it was not as much of a stretch and we got to play with a little bit of our um bring in some of our other uh not not so dark elements we got to play with that a little bit too which i think you know the darkly beautiful um elements and stuff um and i liked i like doing that i like being able to spread the wings a little bit and try something different
Now, with all the work you've done in the past on all these different platforms, is there anything left that you would still love to do? Oh boy, um, yeah, I think there's still a lot of different uh, different themes and stuff that you know we that we haven't covered at all, uh, as far as you know, for for original albums and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I don't think we're done with like, you know, we haven't run the gamut of like, oh, we're just out of ideas or anything at this point by any means. So I think there's a lot more creativity to be had and to be, you know, to be explored uh, through that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe someday a, a live orchestra performing our our, our music. Um, that's probably on my bucket list, I think. Well, what's next for Midnight Syndicate after your run of live shows? That's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, we're so focused on the shows right now. You never know, too, because, um, you know, there's the the chance that, you know, if Cedar Point wants us back again, um, we won't know. We won't even hear anything about that until probably early next year. Um, so that's kind of it gets into like more of a waiting game. Like, OK, you know, we're where are we at with that and that kind of thing. And um you know, there's always the the chance to do another album, of course. So I don't know. I think, I think we're kicking around in, in, in a lot of things and, and just open to, you know, whatever possibilities happen. What's the audience reaction been like? Oh, phenomenal to the shows. It's, it's, uh, it's really, really fun uh, to hear them responding to certain elements of the shows. And again, I'm not going to give anything away, but um, when you get that feedback when you're on stage um, that they were either scared or startled by something or that they really enjoy something or that they got a reference, you know, that maybe refers back to something we did in the last show or, or the original show. Uh, it's just it's really cool. I mean, it's just it's hard to explain that. And, then, and I think it seems like a lot of people are digging the new one, too. I think that's always cool. You always want to be trying to produce the best stuff that you've done, you know, or push yourself. Um, and I, yeah, everybody's going to have their, their their own favorites. But a lot, an awful lot of people are saying this is the best show that, that we've done. And we we like the other two, you know, and, and, and so did like uh, so did Cedar Point and the audiences. Um, so that makes you feel good, you know. Maybe doing some things better, you know, as you go along. It's always good. Where can listeners find out more information on Midnight Syndicate and purchase your music? Well, midnightsyndicate.com is our is our website. And, of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, we're very active on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook and you like Midnight Syndicate, that's great. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, which now has, like, for most artists has the music you can come listen to it see what you think um we're also on spotify as well so uh, lots of places now for people to go check out and there's so much music uh 20 plus years of doing this we have a lot of albums and we cover a lot of different themes you know and as you said we have the the thematic albums that we write um our you know our bread and butter and then we have these soundtracks that we do for the games and and even a few movie soundtracks in there for good measure so uh lots of just music for people to explore and we hope we hope they will
that's it for this special Halloween episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank Ed and Gavin from Midnight Syndicate for stopping by. And I'd like to thank you for hanging out with us here at the Blanket Fort. Remember to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And to tell your friends about Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Smell you later. <laughs> that was a frightfully fun episode, if I do say so myself. For it is I, Dr. Death. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's, I'm it, about... It's Dr. Blood. No, it has always been Dr. Death Schneegler. No, you... you shut up, you fool. You have repeatedly for years called yourself Dr. Blood. Why are you so... No, Dr. Death. Go back and listen. At the very beginning, <laughs> you'll see that I have all my wits about me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's Dr. Blood. You've always been Dr. Blood. And I don't... Well, whatever, Schneegor. Say goodnight and farewell, mortals. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Chicken bone, chicken bone, right. stick it in my throat, chicken bone, I'll slap your back. <laughs>